Jake Ballantyne, welcome to the Edlow Podcast. What's going on, Josh? So glad to be here. Dude, I it's funny because I think when I started this, I, I gotta tell a story actually. I'm gonna tell a story about about you. I have been I think I talked to you the most about wanting to do a podcast. Uh like really I think I talked to you the most about it. I talked to a few other people about how I wanted to do it, but I think I talked to you about all these ideas I had. And I don't remember if I was just watching one of your one of like your TikTok videos or your stuff on Instagram, or you were actually talking to me directly. It felt like either way you were talking directly to me. And you just kind of were like, you know what? You could think about this forever, or you could just go and do it and just figure it out. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, you know, and and I just was like, it was so funny because I, I thought about so many different things. I was like, I was like, okay, what do I call it? I got to have a nifty name. And you were like, and I remember you just saying like, just do it and just figure it out while you're going. What is my theme going to be? All this stuff. And I was like, you know what? I don't need a theme. I'll just call it Edlo podcast. We'll just go for it. And if, if I need, I'll just change on the fly if I need to change. And this has been really successful. And, uh, and I've had a ton of fun doing it. And you were, I remember I, when I started this podcast, I was like, I need to get you on. And I've been trying to get you on since its inception. And I'm glad we finally got to get it done. So you are an integral part in the creation of the Edlow podcast. So thank you for finally coming on. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm grateful to be here, Josh. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, you bring all that up. Cause I think, I, I think you are such a great example of taking on the opportunity to say, I want to do something. So I'm going to go do it. And you've always done that from, from the wrestling world, taking on law, you didn't have any experience of, you didn't have, you didn't have family members who were in law. You didn't have family members who were in wrestling. You didn't have, you know, any of those things. And you just said like, okay, I'm just going to do it and be the kind of person who figures things out. But I think that so many people want to do something and they look at perfectionism as something that's actually important. Uh, I believe that perfection is the lowest standard that we can create. And here's what I mean by this. When we say, I'm not going to do it unless it's perfect, what that means is I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to take action moving forward because no matter what, it won't be perfect. There's always going to be something wrong with it. There, there's a difference when someone's saying that I'm working on my craft. I think about it this way. you are. This is the process of perfecting something. And it's through reps. It's through doing it. I heard... Um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Amazing, amazing comedian in, in uh, movies with the rock. Oh, wow. um, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart. So I heard a great clip from Kevin Hart. Uh, he was on Joe Rogan and he was talking about how much time it takes to create one of his specials. He says he takes his special and he takes his content and then he goes, okay, well, I got this joke. Now I got 10 new minutes. Now I got another two minutes, 10 minutes. I got another 10 minutes and I've built up an hour. Then I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it on the road. And he said, I'm going to go to the inner cities where everybody looks like me. And then I'm going to go to Iowa where nobody looks like me. And I'm going to go to every different demographic, every region in the country until everywhere I go, no matter what they look like, no matter what their socioeconomic standard is or life is, they find what I'm saying funny. And that's when I do a special. He said it takes him 18 months of work to put these on. And Jeez. that's why he's where he's at. But it's perfecting and taking action on something 
It wasn't, I'm going to sit at home and practice for 18 months. I'm going to take this in front of people for 18 months. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I did, so I, I, I did a, a haphazard try to podcast probably like a year or two or probably a year before, um, maybe a little bit longer before I actually started the Edlow podcast with my brother. And we did two podcasts where he interviewed me and then I interviewed him and we, we never released either one. And I never will because it just, that was the first time I'd ever had a chance to talk to my brother like that about just our lives. And, uh, and I just was like, you know what, these are for us. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, that'll just be for us and our posterity and our family. And uh, I never released those, <clears throat> but then I just finally, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, I did three podcasts in a row just with random friends, just talking. And then I've realized over the course of time, this is, I think my, when this gets released, this will probably be my 62nd or 63rd podcast. And with every single one of these, I feel like I get better. You know what I mean? And so, like you said, it's like, it's perfecting the craft as I'm going, you know, (coughs) I just, I just really enjoy the process of talking to people and figuring out what makes them tick. And you're, you're an interesting guy to me because you're not a celebrity per se, but you are the creator of the speakers, authors and coaches network. I think I said that right. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that, you're a motivational speaker yourself. And I think a lot of people think when they think of motivational speakers, they think of like celebrities and people like that. But you have you've gone out. How many speaking engagements have you done now? It's, it's over like 500 now, right? Uh, well, I mean, well over a thousand in, in just speaking engagements, well over a thousand um, over over five, six hundred paid speaking engagements. The, the thing is, is. Um, I make a distinction between the two because of the, the industry and what, what that looks like within the industry. Um, but a lot of business to me comes from speaking at places that have an audience, but don't have a budget. Mm. And so speaking there brings a lot of business my way, whether it's another speaking engagement, a paid speaking engagement, or it's clients in the coaching world since I do a lot of coaching and consulting as well. And so that that's a marketing play to do, but I mean, it's, it's well, well into the thousand I'm well over a thousand speaking engagements in front of front of audiences on the stage. But yeah, that that's, that's what I've done. Yeah. Well then on top of that, also you are a certified success coach and what does that mean? Well, I mean, I'm going to break it down and tell you what it really means. Not a whole lot of anything. And, I, and, 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 and here, here's what I mean by that. The, what I mean is that the coaching <coughs> world is um, it's an unregulated industry. It's also a, um, I can't remember the number of billions, but it's a multi-billion dollar in industry. This is the knowledge-based business. This is the, the coaching world where I have some knowledge and I can help people through whatever problem that is, whether that's someone who helps people with weight loss or improving relationships or building a, a small business. This is a legit, a legitimate business that is growing quicker than just about any business because it requires almost no capital. It requires an internet connection and whatever your life experience is. And, and that's really it. But there's a lot of organizations that are wanting to create standardization, a governing body, all of those kinds of things. But I don't think they really matter. 
I don't think they're really all that important. I think what matters is can you actually deliver results for people? And so I have multiple certifications back when I believed that that was something I needed to do. So different certifications in like the coaching world. But guess what? Not a single client has ever said, uh, could I see your certification of this? Like nobody cares. <laughs> right? Nobody cares at all. And so I now on nowhere on there says a certified success coach, but I just refer to myself as a success coach uh, because it, it kind of encompasses all sorts of different certifications and things that I've done. But like, I'll be just completely honest with you. Like that doesn't really mean anything. And I think that's a big issue within our industry, within the coaching industry, there's um, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. And there's also a lot of people who prey on a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. It's mm. something like, it sounds funny, but in this helping world, there's a lot of sharks out there. And what a lot of these sharks are doing is preying on people who have the need for permission to do something. Mm. And they're not taking action because they feel like, oh, I want to help the world but I need permission to do it. And I think there's a lot of people who are saying, yes, you do need permission. And I'm the one who can give you permission mm. and buy my program that gives you permission. Mm. And I, I, th I think that that's an issue in our industry and anyone who wants to start something, start, like just start, start small. Like if someone wants to start coaching, I, it's, it's so funny. I don't, I don't believe people a lot. Like a lot of times when people say stuff, I call them out on, their lies because they're saying, well, I want to start coaching people. It's not about the money, but I, I need to get paid. And I'm like, well, why, why do you need to get paid? Well, because I, I, uh, my, my worth, my whatever. And I go, no offense, but you've never done this before. You don't even know if you're good at it yet. You mm -hmm. don't know if you're good at it yet. Why don't you start in the same way that someone who wants to make it to the NBA starts out playing amateur basketball to perfect their craft and so if someone wants to start a coaching business let's say you're you're like you know what i know a lot about health and fitness and i want to help people live healthier lives great find 10 people and help them and you're going to learn more in helping those 10 people for free than you ever would learn reading books talking about it and by the end of that you now have 10 testimonials you now have 10 examples you have all this experience that you never had and now you're going to get paid clients pretty easily because people are going to say hey what have you been doing and, oh i've been talking to this guy he's been helping me same thing with speaking someone wants to start speaking all they got to do is start speaking they just got to start speaking because people hear your story and we can go into it there's like three main things that I talk about with people that they need to be able to book speaking engagements without being a celebrity, without being famous, without having a crazy story. But if someone wants to start and if they say, well, I have something to say in the, in the business world, cause I've had a lot of success there, or I have something to say in whatever world it is, look at wherever they can start on a small scale and start speaking and try to be strategic about who are the people that are going to be there? Can I speak somewhere where, there's going to be people who actually have an audience that could be there, like um, a great place. People who want to speak in the corporate world, if they volunteer to go speak at um, charity events, who's at charity events? Who are, who are the donors at charity events? They're business owners. Mm -hmm. Most of them are business owners. And you volunteer to speak at these charity events, 
And then you're in front of a hundred different business owners and you knock it out of the ballpark. They're going to be talking to you and saying, Hey, can you come speak at my thing? Hey, can you speak at this? Can you speak at that? And what I mean by, I don't believe people is people will say like, Oh, I, I want to do this. And it's not about the money. And I go, well, it is about the money because you're not willing to do it without the money. And I'm telling you the quickest way to get to the money is to not worry about the money and just perfect your craft. Right. Right. But that's really with everything, right? Is that, you know, I, I had this conversation one time with an attorney who came into my, uh, to my office at my law firm. <clears throat> you know, a lot of what we do is based on what we earn the firm. You know, I mean, we're all contingency fee guys. So, you know, it, it, we, we're helping people, but we're also bringing in money to the firm and we get bonuses based on that and things. Of course. Like and so one year uh, an associate came into me and he was like, hey, listen, um, you know, um, uh, I, my bonus wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I, uh, I'm coming to you because I want to know. I mean, I know you've done really well. What do you think I need to do? to get the big bonus. And I said, well, okay, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. I was like, I'm here, I, you know, I'm here almost every Saturday and have been for the last five, six, seven years. And I was like, uh, I haven't seen you here a single Saturday. I was like, I'm here before, you know, I've never seen you here before eight 30. I never see you here after five. And I was like, you want to get in front of the, the main, the, the partners. They're so busy during those times. They have no idea that you're here. But they are walking around at 7 p.m. on a Friday night. They are walking around at 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And those are the times you're going to get their ear. If I were you, I would go to the managing partner at 8 a.m. on a Saturday. And I would say to him, hey, I want to be involved in one of your, more of your cases. What do I got to do to do that? And do that for a few weeks in a row and show him that you want it. And he goes, well, I don't want to do that unless I'm guaranteed that that's going to result in more money. And I go, then you're never going to make more money. Because that's what I did. I mean, you talk about things that, that needed to happen. I'll, I'll tell this story. I, I shared the story with the managing partner of my firm, Roger Dreyer. When I, when I first came out of law school uh, and, and, I'd, and I, had, uh, I came back, I took a few weeks off after law school and then I came back to work because I'd worked there as a law clerk throughout law school. He sat me down and he goes, you have uh, zero political capital here. I don't even know why I hired you. I, uh, I don't think you're going to make it. Um, you really kind of petered out at the end there, which I don't agree with to this day. And he's like, you know, he goes, uh, so just so you know, I don't even want to look at you. Uh, I'm going to give you to these three other people who are going to work for you with you. And, uh, yeah, you know, we'll see if you, if you make it, you know, the next six months. And I went out of there and I was like, so defeated. I was really defeated. I was really upset because I walked away really happy. You know what I mean? Like I walked away, like I thought I had done a really good job and I, and I did, you know, I, I, I know I did cause he hired me. And I just remember thinking at that time, I remember saying to myself, I go, okay, so I could get all upset right now. Uh, and I could, and I could be all butthurt and quit or do something like that. Or, or I'm just going to work as hard as I can for as long as I can. And I'm going to show them that I'm worth what I, what I believe I'm worth. And then one day I'm going to shove it down his throat. And I kept quiet. And for the next 10 years, I, gr I mean, I was grinding so hard. I mean, so hard. And I finally became partner. And I shared that story with him when I became a partner and I shoved it down his throat. And, you know, and so that's, a, that's the difference, right? In my mind, 
it, the difference really there is, you know, in the face of adversity, you just got to keep grinding. You know what I mean? And, and being willing to put in the hours when there's no guarantee that you're going to make it. This podcast is another example of that. Like there's no guarantee this is ever going to go anywhere. There's no guarantee that I'm ever going to, I, you know, do I think I'm ever going to become Joe Rogan? No. I mean, you know, that, that maybe, I don't know, but there's definitely no guarantee that I'll ever monetize this. So I'm just having fun in the process and working hard and making sure I put out good content. You know, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. But Joe Rogan did the same thing just started 15 years ago. Good point. And, yeah. and and that's just, that that really is the issue. Like and and okay. So success takes work plus skill plus some level of luck. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the level of luck and the level of fortune that comes. And and here's what I mean by luck. Uh but the luck doesn't come to people if they're not doing the work and have the skill and do those things. But right time, right place. I'm not taking anything against Joe Rogan. But Joe Rogan is the guy because he was the biggest guy in podcasting when podcasting finally hit, when fin- when it finally hit mainstream. When it finally hit mainstream, Joe Rogan was the biggest guy because he was doing it for years when people went podcasting. That's stupid. That's 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 weird. Why would who even listens to these things? You know, he was on podcast before the iPhone existed. Where do people even listen to podcasts then? You know, like he and, and that's what he was doing. And so you you look at that and sometimes there is an element of fortune involved. And I think that we're too quick to say that, no, this was all me. And, but it doesn't take away from it being all you. It doesn't take away from it whatsoever. It's fortune favors those who are doing the work and it yeah. favors those who are doing that. And the thing is, is right now, somebody listening to this might be working their tail off and it might not be paying off, but you're going to learn skills that will pay off in another thing that you're doing and timing will be just right. For for me with speaking, I put years into effort as a musician. Years. Put my blood, sweat, and tears, worked as hard as possible on it. And I was playing five nights a week, playing in dingy dive bars. I was playing on the streets in LA. I was playing everywhere that I could to get exposure. And I actually started making a living playing music. Now, when I say a living, I didn't have a college degree. I wasn't a, um, I didn't have a real career somewhere beforehand. So this was the most I had ever made in my life was playing music. And I was feeling really good about myself. I quit my regular job that I had at the time because I was playing music full time. It was awesome. It was great. And I, it, it started paying off and started working. But I never loved playing in bars because I was like, and I'm, I'm just entertaining drunk people. And that's all I'm doing here is like, I'm being paid because the longer I play, the more they stay and the more alcohol they buy. And that's all I'm here for. And, and I have no judgment and people who, who like alcohol and stuff, that's, that's fine. But it wasn't for me. It wasn't my, it wasn't my mission in life. And I was doing it as a means to an end. But after four years of doing this full time, I was not getting where I wanted to go. 
And then I had this crazy idea of, well, I first went back to college and I was studying psychology to go and be, I wanted to go and be a, a, a counselor, be a therapist. I wanted to get my master's in count, my degrees in psychology. I was going to get a master's in counseling and work with teenagers. That was the goal. But I, I didn't, I didn't like it. It wasn't my right fit. And I knew that pretty much right away when I was, when I was there, but I was going to finish the degree. But while I was there, I had this crazy idea of what if, what if I took all these things that I'm learning in psychology and this like personal development thing that, by the way, I got into personal development because I knew I had to learn how to face rejection as a musician. I knew I needed to learn how to face rejection. So I'm listening to Tony Robbins and I'm, I'm listening to Stephen Covey and I'm listening, you know, all these different things. And that's where I got, got exposed to that. And I was like, what if I took all that stuff that I learned there and I'm learning in college doing psychology. And then I combined it with, I've always had the skill of speaking and I combined it with music and did these assembly programs at school, at schools, like high schools and middle schools and stuff like that. And I went, cool, I could try that. But I didn't even know it was a career. I had no clue. I didn't know that this was a career. I just thought I was doing something good. I thought I was doing something positive in the world. That was it. And I started doing it. And I soon learned because people started saying, well, what do you charge? And I went, I'll collect you. <laughs> I, I had no idea. And so I started doing research on, on, I didn't even know this was a thing. And I started doing research online. And then I found people who are doing this. And I found someone who had a, a training program about like the business side of things. Like, how do you, how do you, like much like a wrestling school kind of thing? Like, yeah. how do you actually book yourself? How do you position yourself? How do you do all those kinds of things? And so I got like, I went deep into that. I immediately went all in with this. I let go of, I, I had a couple applications out for master's programs and stuff like that. I stopped. I had no desire to do that anymore. I'm doing this all in. And, and within one year, my full-time income was speaking all over the United States, high schools, middle schools, youth leadership conferences, you know, the conferences like FBLA, FFA, student council for entire states and stuff like that. And that was, that was within a year, within a year of like, Oh, this is done. I'm not doing this anymore. The music thing didn't work. And I put everything into that. Maybe this wasn't just luck. This was just the perfect fit for me. And sometimes, sometimes like your desires are not the right fit for you, but it doesn't mean it's a failure. It means it's a stepping stone to something better. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to real quick ask you something about that because this kind of has to go with mindset. And that is that what I hear from you is this, and what I think is so impressive about this is that you're like, you get an idea, and then you just do it. You know what I mean? And and like, and, and I'm kind of the same way. Like when when the wrestling when I when I decided to buy a wrestling ring, everyone was like, I was in the middle of law school, I was working full time, and everyone was like, that's how are you possibly going to do that? And I remember saying, I will. I will pay this wrestling ring back in a year guaranteed. I didn't have anything going. I just bought a ring. And next thing you know, next thing you know, doing that uh, within a year, I was booking shows with impact wrestling. I got on Lucha Libre USA started doing um, uh, started doing um, 
New Japan. I did the thing with New Japan. And it just, just because I did it, I didn't think any of that thing was going to be in the cards. I just thought I'm going to run wrestling shows. And I said, I'm going to do charity shows. I'm going to start working with schools. I'm going to be doing that stuff. And, uh, and it just worked out and I started making money and I started doing it better than, than anyone could have ever possibly imagined. And same with law school, same with when I started wrestling in the, in the late nineties, two thousands. But the thing is, is that I don't know if you're the same way, but I just, it never occurred to me that I couldn't do it. Even when people would tell me, you know what I mean? Like, even when people would tell me that's stupid, that's crazy. It would almost fuel me to want to do it more. Do you think that's something that can be learned or do you think that's something that you're just born with? Does it have to be or can it be both? It can be, but I just, I wonder because there's just so many, like you, you, you brought up before you're like, there are all these people who just are like overthinking it. They're just thinking about it and they just, and they just don't have the gumption. Maybe they're afraid of failure or maybe they're afraid of, you know, something else. Uh, and they just don't do it. And I just, I personally, it's not a knock on anybody. It's not a judgment, but I just don't understand it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when someone is so afraid of somebody saying no, I'm like, well, it's a guaranteed no, if you don't even try, you know what I mean? Yes. So here's my beliefs on this. Um, Tony Robbins talks about how we all have six human needs. These are not wants. They're not desires. They are needs that we all have. The only difference is that we value them at different levels. Mm. And the first two needs that we all have are complete opposition of each other. One of them is certainty. And one of them is variety. Mm. They're completely different. One of them essentially is certainty. And the other one is uncertainty because if we have too much certainty, we're going to get bored and we need uncertainty. Someone who values certainty as their top priority need is going to act very differently than someone who values variety as their top need. We also have other needs, need for growth, need for contribution. We have need for love and connection. We have these, these different needs that we have. And if we value, if our top two needs in life are certainty and significance, we're going to have a lot of pain coming into our life and we're not going to take very many risks because once I get a certain level of significance, my certainty is attached to that. And I don't want to do anything that will harm that mm -hmm. where someone might naturally come at a place where they value growth, contribution, connection at a higher level than certainty and significance. And those people are more willing to take risks because to them, it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't, I don't need certainty to be able to feel good. I, I don't, I don't need it. These are things that can be changed, but it takes a lot of conscious effort and mm -hmm. it takes a lot of conscious effort. And, and I'm now of the opinion that, um, I don't know, it's taken me 37 years to come to this opinion, but I'm not right. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean I'm wrong either, but I'm not right. I used to look at the guys who were like, got the accounting job at, you know, 22 years old, right out of, right out of college and have stayed with the same firm their whole career. And I would look at them almost with pity, like what a sad life and what a sad, whatever. But it's like, why do they have to value the things that I value in terms of growth and their contribution? That same guy could be the guy who looks at his career as just a means to get through 
and be able to provide for my family. And so I can serve in church and so I can serve in my community. And so I can, and if that's what lights them up, cool. I used to think that they just weren't, they just, they just weren't being honest with themselves. They actually wanted, they wanted to do these other things. So, so that, that's one thing, but no, I do, I do think that it, in one way it is natural and in another way it can be learned. Um, and I think that the learning, it has to come from a place where your sense of certainty is something deeper than success. Because if my, or, or actually more accurately, my sense of certainty is coming from something stronger and deeper than not failure. Mm. People, because I said, well, who cares? You failed. Why does it matter? Because I see the goal as success. But if people are seeing the goal as not failure, the easiest way to not fail is to not do something. Yeah. No, so it's like, what are, what are we looking for? This sign, focus on the good. This is like a focus to me of just like, well, what do I want? And if I focus on what I want, I'm going to go towards what I want. But if I'm focusing on what I don't want, if my value, all motivation comes from away from pain or towards pleasure. And if I'm only focusing on away from pain, there's a lot of ways to not have pain that don't go towards pleasure. In fact, it's easier to not have pain by not trying to get towards pleasure and just trying to avoid pain. And then we live a numb life. Dude, uh, you have, you are striking a chord, Jake Ballantyne. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny because it's, it's true. I mean, I've, I've been in that place, comfortably numb. You know what I mean? I've been in that place where you're sitting there and it's like, it's not good. It's just the absence of bad. You know what I mean? And that is not a good place to be. <clears throat> in fact, I sometimes think that you're almost in a better place being in complete and utter torture pain than being in that place that's just good enough. You know what I mean? Because if it's just good enough, that comfortable numbness keeps you in a place that's not going to fulfill you. Like, and, I, and I'm the type of guy that's like that. I'll hang on. Believe me. I'll hang on way longer than I should to avoid pain. But my experience has been that eventually that numb place will get so painful that you'll have to make a change. And that's what's interesting, whether you want to call it God or the universe or whatever. If you got something that's calling you, this has been my experience there. I, in many, many of the instances, and I've had many of them where I had an instinct that I needed to make a change that was life altering that was scary. If I didn't make the change, eventually I was compelled to make the change. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And yes. And, uh, and I, you know, it, it's funny because even when I've been compelled to make the change, I've always come out better, but man, if I had just done it when the instinct said I would have avoided a lot of pain, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Everyone can always say things that are great, but doing them is always a different story. And, and I'm going to be completely honest and transparent. Um, I had never really experienced financial success and certainty in the majority of my life. I grew up in a, a family that, well, when I was young, we didn't have much. But once I got about teenager, my parents were both teachers. So we had two teacher salaries, which meant we had what we needed, but nothing extra. Um, 
And then when I started my career, I mean, look, business is, business is, is, uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And in, in speaking for years, it was, I was making it. And if I, Hey, if I just bragged about my gross, my, my, if I just bragged about my gross revenue, Oh man, I'm doing great. But, <laughs> but when you really get into it and you go, well, shoot, like some of these years, some of these years in, in business, I look back and I'm like, I spent $30,000 on airport, on flights, you know, I mean, that, not just flights, but flights, hotels, rental cars, all this kind of stuff. And you start adding all this up and you go, dang, this was a lot of money that went into this. Right. Um, and, and, you know, all that stuff adds up, but here's my point. Um, I was having a lot of financial success. Things were going very well. And then COVID hit. And mm. everything fell apart. Everything. Mm. It was craziest month of my life. Mm. I mean, just like everyone else, everyone had their, their story. But I lost 90% of my income in a 10-day period of time. It was like people jumping ship. Hey, sorry, I know I signed a contract. I'm out. Doesn't work. Can't do it. Can't do it. Put it on pause. Had to refund a bunch of money because of things that couldn't happen based on events. And so I lost 90% of my income like that. And I wallowed and I was scared and I was upset. And then I got this mindset of like, I, I, I remember saying, I was like, okay, you know what? And by the way, I have people who, um, I have, I have salespeople who work with me. I have different people who count on me. I have this whole team of people around me. And plus I have these clients that actually believed in me enough to stick around. It wasn't very many, but they still did. And I thought, okay, I, I gotta, I gotta be a light. I gotta do something here. I gotta have confidence when there is none. And so I decided the analogy was I'm going to be a captain of a ship during a storm and the mm -hmm. captain of the ship during the storm, he can be scared as all get up. But the one thing he can't do is let his men know that he's experiencing fear. I said, that's what I'm going to do. And it served me so well during that time. It mm -hmm. served me incredibly well. But now you look years later and that same mindset has put me in a position, by the way, since COVID to now has been the most successful financial time of my career. It's been, it's been fantastic. It's been absolutely the best that it's ever been. But I had a realization just a couple of weeks ago. I went, you know what? I'm not experiencing the same level of fulfillment that I used to experience because I'm still acting like the captain of the ship in a storm. And what I'm acting like is during storm time, you cannot deal with frivolous thinking like I have this dream and I have this thing and all these different – you got to go, nope, pragmatic. What's going to get me through the storm? What's going to get me through the storm? And I realized that if I'm honest with myself, I've gone into protection mode. I've gone into more defense than offense mm. for, for quite a while, especially once I, once I built up you know, my, my um, ability to experience risk – used to be so much greater, but I never experienced something like losing everything in a 10 day period of time. Once mm -hmm. I did that, the nest egg had to be so much bigger. Oh, I got to have more of the, of the expenses in the bank account in case this happens again. It can't happen again. Can't happen again. Can't happen again. So I realized that I got to a point to where I had not been, I I'd been in protection mode. I wasn't in, um, I wasn't in the mode to uh, certainty that that's what it was. You know, I, I wasn't taking risks. 
And I haven't taken the kind of risks that I used to take in a long time. And even on the outside looking in, people see, oh man, Jake's doing better than ever. You know, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you did that. You brought, you made this many sales. You brought this many clients. You did, had these results, all that stuff. And that's great. But at the end of the day, it's all been incremental change, incremental growth, because my biggest goal has been never to experience April and May of 2020 ever again in my life. Mm -hmm. And I've had the experience where I realized I have to let that go. And I have to change my identity from the captain of the, of the ship during, during storm and change it to someone that, you know what, the sun's out and everything's okay. And I'm safe and I don't need to be in protection mode and I have to let go. I have to let go of the good to embrace the next level of great. And that's well, been know, a big realization lately. That's been really, that's really, you can translate that to, to pretty much any sort of traumatic event you have in your life. Cause obviously that was very traumatic for you, you know, and it, it would be for anybody if they lost that much of their income so quickly. But it, yeah, whenever you're experiencing some sort of trauma event like that, you have to just become whatever person that you need to be to survive the trauma, survive the storm. You know what I mean? That's, that's coming. Whatever that is, if you have to go into protection mode, you have to be angry mode, you have to be, you know, I, I sometimes when I talk to my my son recently, my my son recently told me he had never seen me, he had never seen me, did he say he'd never seen me scared? No, he'd never seen me cry, right? He's like, I've never seen my dad cry. And I was like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, and, and there was another time where he said to me, he goes, you always just seem like nothing phases you. You know what I mean? Like you don't, like you just keep going. Like you, it's like you're a robot. And I just was like, dude, you don't see me when I'm, when I shut my door and lock it so you can't come in and I'm freaking out because I don't know how I'm going to get through this next thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks's character, who's the who's the captain of the of the squad, goes behind a mountain and cries his eyes out so his soldiers don't see him. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like whenever you have that traumatic event, you have to turn into that person, whoever it is, that side of you that just survives. But then when you get past the trauma, you got to kill that person too and become the person who did survive and be the person that God, the universe, your higher power really wanted you to be after that trauma if that makes sense josh i i want to talk about something that you know months ago we talked about doing the show and you mentioned i hadn't you know we wanted to do the show for a long time i haven't done podcast interviews for a really long time and it's been because i've been in a, a metamorphosis i've been through this internal kind of a caterpillar period coming out as a butterfly that that's what's going on and but it's been a metamorphosis of things that i've been going through and i've been processing things and processing things and processing things and i i've known for a long time that i'm about to hit a stage of massive growth i've had really great growth over the last year two years in business but i'm about to hit a time where there's drastic change and growth within my career, within my life, within my impact, within income, within those kind of things. And I know that that's coming because of the, metam the metamorphosis I've been going through. But I've kind of been laying low 
recently and that this has been kind of a part of the reason I didn't know how to process all of these things, but here's a, a an experience that I had. And I, I mentioned this briefly to you um, that it's, it's a meridian of time moment for me. And mm-hmm. I was going through some heavy, heavy stuff towards the end of last year, had some really unfortunate uh, business experiences, some people I trusted do some really unfair, very, um, just ugly things. And um, then I also had some family drama going on and had some uh, relationship, friendship problems and had other, other kind of things all going on at the same time. And I was really experiencing challenges at a level. I don't know if you've ever felt this way before, but have you ever felt like, I thought I got past this. I didn't think I was going to have to deal with this level of problems again. I, I thought I, I thought I got there and I'm not supposed to deal with that anymore. And I know that you have hundred um, percent. And it's really shocking, isn't it? When you're like, again, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought I was, you know what? In the movies, they get over the challenge and then they end triumphant and then they're supposed to stay there forever. Yeah. Right. And that's how they are in your mind not realizing that problems continue to come, but problems are the gift that we grow from. And he, and here, here's the thing that ended up happening to me. I'm in one of those States and I'm feeling like, and, and here's something really important. I'm going to sound very Buddhist when I say this pain is not from the situation. Pain is from the feeling that the situation should not be happening. Mm. That's where pain is really coming from. That's this should, really what's that? That's very profound. Yeah. Well, thank you. I didn't come up with it. This, this, I've, I've done a lot of Buddhism study over the last year as well. And, and, and that's been, you know, that's where pain is from. Pain is from attachment. Um, it's from attachment of how it should be. That's where pain's coming from, not from the actual situation. But I'm wallowing in this should not be happening. This shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening. And I'm dealing with all sorts of stuff. I'm just not even, I'm, I'm just ignoring it at this point. Then I had this dream. I had my Ebenezer Scrooge moment of a dream. And December 22nd to December 23rd of 2022. Interesting. I go to bed 22 of 12, 22, 22. I have this dream in the night where I physically died. And I died in this dream. And when I died and experienced death, it felt as though I had just gone in a complete wipeout in, in the ocean. You know, you ever, you ever be in the ocean and just tumble, like complete wipeout in that, in that water. And I felt that physically. And then I could see and feel in a way that I've never felt in a dream. I could feel my body um, becoming lifeless and my spirit leaving my body. And then I could see my lifeless body and my wife sobbing, going, what's happening? What's happening? And I could see paramedics trying to revive me and all those kinds of things. And I'm experiencing this going, I'm here. I'm here. I'm right here. I'm right here. And then I experienced seeing my son and seeing what he went through. And I experienced all that. And then once I finally realized like, okay, I'm, I'm dead. This is what it is. 
I start feeling multiple things. Number one, I felt like I felt pride for all the things that I had done and, and the things I was proud of were the times that I went after things regardless of the risk, whether I win, won or lost. The pride was for the was for the chase. The pride was for having the courage to do it. Not even the success. It was the courage to do it. The pride was for the time that I spent with my family and with loved ones. The time was for choosing to live my way and not somebody else's. That was where the pride was. My only regret was in how much worry I felt over things that did not matter at all. That was my regret that I felt. Now, here's what I think is the most profound part. It was in a real life situation, like real life timeline. It was December 22nd, 2022 in this dream as well. All my problems existed. And I was like, I just, no, I, I'm not ready. I have that problem to deal with. And I have this thing to deal with. And I have that thing to deal with. And I have this relationship that's kind of messed up right now. And I want to fix it because I don't really feel that way right now of what I said to that person. I actually want to, like, I really care about that person. And I, I want to fix it. And I want to, but I couldn't do anything. And what I realized was what I wanted more than anything was the privilege to deal with my problems. What a privilege that we get to deal with our problems. And then I woke up and I woke up and it was a night. Remember in Northern California, December, end of December, how crazy the rainstorms were and just so much rain and clouds. And it was just crazy storms. So that night it was so cloudy that it was pitch black in the room, pitch black in the bedroom. And so I woke up with it being pitch black, couldn't see anything. And I literally went, am I alive or am I dead? I, I really didn't know. And I, I got my phone and I, I do this on my phone so I can see a little bit. And I look down. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. My body's moving. I, I got up. I looked at the bed. You know, my wife's asleep, so I'm not going to turn the lights on. Uh, so I, I shine my light on my the screen of my phone down literally to make sure that my body came with me when I got up, like, okay, I'm alive. I'm really alive. Then I got up, I went into the bathroom. I looked in the mirror. I was like, Whoa, what just happened? And then I spent the next two hours writing down in my journal, what I was proud of, what shame, what, what, what not shame, what um, regret I had for worry. And then I wrote down again and again, I have the privilege to deal with my problems. I have the privilege and every problem I've dealt with since then, I see it in a completely different way because I have the privilege of dealing with it. My life will never be the same from that wonderful night that I had that dream. Wow. That's really interesting. I, I've never thought of it that way. We have the privilege to deal with our problems. You know, it's funny that you, you say that because I've often, you know, sometimes people call me when they've, when they've had, uh, I don't know why, but I'm always the guy that it seems like people call me when they're having you know, relationship problems or faith crisis or these things and, or, you know, they've suffered some sort of loss and uh, I always give them the same, you know, the same advice and it's easy to give. It's not easy to practice necessarily. And that is, I was like, you know, yeah, you lost that relationship and it's hurting, you know, they, they've left you and uh, that really sucks, you know, 
But think of it this way. <clears throat> it hurts so much because you had the opportunity to love them so much. And in that way, life is pretty beautiful. The reason it hurts is because you care so much. And yeah, they hurt you. But think about the fact that you had the capacity to love that much. And I just, in that way, I think the loss is kind of strangely beautiful. You know what I mean? And same what you're saying. You know, you're saying that these problems, do they suck? Yeah. Do they hurt? Yeah. But think about the privilege that you have to experience these things. The reason they're a problem is because you care so much. Like your relationship problem with your friend. You care so much that it bothers you, you know? Uh, I, I think that that makes, that's just another example of why life is so great. Yes. And a part of it was some people that I was close to realizing that realizing that they didn't love is not the right word. They didn't like every part of me, every part of who I was and my way of acting and my way of being and all that kind of stuff. And, and that really stung, you know, that, that, that was really hard to hear and to realize because I didn't think that. And honestly, like after this experience, I started thinking, I was like, you know what? I don't actually like everything about almost anyone. <laughs> like like every, everyone, like, why am I holding them to a standard of they should like every single thing about me when like almost everyone I know, I'm like, huh. Kind of wish they did this differently, you know, like, oh, why'd you say that? Like, like what a silly thing to hold other people need to see me as everything I do is absolutely perfect and right. You can't have any problem with me, but I got yeah. a problem with you. That doesn't yeah. seem very fair, but that's how most of us act. Yeah. You know, it's interesting though. I, maybe I'm a little different that way, but like, and maybe it's because I have such eclectic tastes. I don't know. Like I just... I've, I don't think I've ever met anybody who likes every part of me. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? But, because but, but I, I, I got youngest child syndrome. Uh, I got yeah. youngest child syndrome. I've always been the, always been, oh, you know, everyone loves Jake. You know, everybody I've always been that. Jake Valentine. <laughs> and, and, and I've been surprised in my life when people don't. And I know mm. that sounds weird, but I have. And something has happened over the last couple of years where I have not just been the chameleon of the situation to be liked, but I've really begun to understand who I am as a person, who I am as a being. And I'm much, I'm much tougher than I think a lot of people that were close to me in my upbringing and childhood realized and thought. And I think that I, to use a kind of overused cliche, I acted more as a sheep when I'm really more of a lion and mm -hmm. I'm a go getter and I'm a, I'm a hunter and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a carnivore, you know, I'm someone who is out there going and, and defeating and conquering. And I, I think that, when you accept who you are in your entirety and you start to step into who you are, not everyone's going to like it, 
and especially people who liked the other version of you, who liked the other version of you that I thought was real. I thought that was me. It actually wasn't. It wasn't me. I am just, I'm a lot tougher than I realized that I was. And I'm much more of a competitor than I realized that I was. And I think that I played a part as a pleaser, you know, just a people pleaser for a long time. And it's only been in the last couple of years where I've stepped into my own. Well, maybe, maybe at the time, maybe it wasn't that that wasn't who you are, but maybe that's who you were for a time. And then you've grown into, like you said, you've done a metamorphosis and realized there's a, there's a part of you that maybe either you didn't, you hadn't tapped into yet or you didn't know existed and now you found it. Like I'm the yeah. same way, you know, I, I've been underestimated my whole life. And I think the reason for that is, is that I tend to be the type of person who, when, when I'm not, when I, how do I explain this? Like when I know that it's not on me, I have no problem letting who it is on lead. You see what I'm saying? And just kind of following along. But I'm not a great follower necessarily, but I will do it. And so because of that, I think people underestimate me. But when I get put in the place where it's my time to shine, I will rise to the occasion. So it leads people to being incredibly surprised when I can. You know, uh, so like when I, you know, when I don't have a care, I don't have a focus necessarily it's very easy for me to just kind of, you know, float for a little while and just goof around and have some fun. But then as soon as I have the, when I have the goal in mind, uh, there is no stopping. Yeah. There, there's nothing you can do to stop me. And, and I mean, like to the point where almost it's almost unhealthy, you know, where like I will block out everything else and have tunnel vision on the thing, which will make me successful. Um, and that's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but, but again, like where, where would you say this thing that you've learned, how would you recommend other people attain that? It, it's not an easy answer. This is it's, it's obsession is what it is. It, it's obsession. Let me just say one other thing on this and then I'll get into that. But it, it's interesting. Like what I'm talking about is all, all experience seeing someone from, high school or even college and they'll have me in this one place. They'll see me in this one place as the guy that everyone likes. And I'm not a threat either. I'm just, no, oh, everyone likes this guy. He's just a good guy. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's realizing that I'm more than just a good guy and getting out of that metamorphosis. But how do you do this? I think you have to get to a place where you are allowing yourself to discover who you really are and discover that in a way where you said, you know what, if I wasn't going to disappoint anyone, who would I be? If I wasn't trying to act in a role that I was cast in 20 years ago, who would I be? What would I care about? What would matter? I, I think that that's it. Honestly, th those are some big things, but here, here's bigger things. Our day-to-day -day mindset 
has to be the thing that we're focusing on. We have to start there and we have to look at in a day-to-day experience. If we're feeling in panic mode, we're never going to grow. And so we have to look at how can I get out of panic mode and how can I get into a place where I feel safe, where I feel protected, where I feel valuable. So now I can actually feel what's going on. And I, I think that for most people, it's, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We can't get to self-actualization until we've taken care of some of those base needs. And so I, I think that that's a big part of it too, is getting out of, I mean, you don't have to have perfect in your life, but we do have to get out of panic mode in order to actually get to self-actualization. You know, I, I've wondered about this, you know, is that also why, like we, we've read some studies that show, like I know there are studies out there that show that highly uh, religious people um, tend to tend to be successful, I guess, you know, the, the, the people who are highly religious or ha- have high demand, like I know people in the morning, it's like they tend to have higher educations and they tend to have all of these different, you know, uh, on paper, like successful lives. And I wonder how much of that is just the fact that, yeah, we're not in as much of a panic mode because we genuinely believe that there's something higher guiding what's happening. You know what I mean? Like I, I could imagine like if I didn't have my own religious belief on this, uh, that if I were in the middle of some of the trials that I've gone through, not believing that there is a God leading that it would be way scarier. I mean, do you think that yes. there's a link from that or, or how do you think that that, uh, that goes? Um, I think that there's definitely a link from that, mm-hmm. but it also, I don't think that it means that someone who is not um, highly religious can, can not feel either. And I, I think that it comes down to people need to have a sense of certainty based around their view of the world. And when they have a view of the world, there, there has to be some feeling of meaning and order. When something bad happens, People will choose to take blame for that bad thing. They will choose to take blame and punish themselves for that bad thing happening over the belief that this just happened to me. Because you know what? If this just happened to me, that's a scary world that we live in. That's a scary world because it could happen at any time. So I would rather feel like, I mean, like I'm thinking about like people who were, uh, you know, victims of, of certain crimes and, and, you know, any kind of abuse and people would rather feel, or just a random accident that has happened. Many people would rather feel, and this is all subconscious, but they would rather feel like they were the cause of this thing happening because it's more comforting to feel like I was the cause of it than to feel like this just happened. Cause if it just happened, it could happen again. And now um, I'm in this place that dude, you it's so funny how you just keep striking so many chords with me, dude. It, it That's, it's so true, right? Like I tend to be that way. I tend to be, I tend to be somebody who takes things on to myself, even when it, everybody is telling me it's not your fault. You see what I'm saying? Because, because just as you said, if it's my fault, 
I can take corrective action to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Right. But if it's not my fault, there's nothing I could have done. It was, it was written in the stars. There was nothing I could do. And how scary is that? Especially when, you know, like I said, living a, a religious life where you believe that your blessings are directly related, you know, predicated on obedience to certain rules and laws of God or nature or whoever, when you do all of those things to the best of your ability and something still happens to you, it shakes your very core. Do you see what I'm saying? And so, and so then there's a level of acceptance. It, It goes back. I think this ties back into what you were saying. And that is that, I can't remember exactly what you said, but the the pain comes from believing that that shouldn't be right. Yeah. Like, so, so you feel pain because this thing happened, not necessarily because it happened, but because you're like, it's not fair. Yes. And I've heard it said from many different sources that our biggest, our biggest problem is the belief that we shouldn't have problems. <laughs> And here's what's funny. At least not these problems, right? <laughs> yes. But but here's what's funny. The first time I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I totally agree. So here's what I'm going to do. You're right. I shouldn't. My, my biggest problem is the belief that I shouldn't have problems. So now what I'm going to do is now that I no longer feel bad for having these problems, I'm going to be in a state now where I can fix these problems and then I won't have problems and I shouldn't have them anymore. Like even, even then it was like this metamorphosis of like, no, like, so I've been in this personal development world for a long time now. And there's, there's always this constant talk about limiting beliefs. Limiting beliefs are the thing that, that holds us back. And I a hundred percent believe that's true. But when you talk to people who have been in personal development for a long time, they they get into this weird place whenever they hit a limiting belief again and they go, I shouldn't be dealing with this because I already dealt with it. I already mm-hmm. dealt with it two years ago. I was at this seminar and I dealt with it and I shouldn't be dealing with it again. But here's what it means when you're dealing with a limiting belief again. It doesn't mean you're broken. It doesn't mean you went backwards. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. What it means is you dealt with that limitation to a certain level of growth. And as you grow again, you're going to deal with those same limiting beliefs again because you still have the same early childhood trauma. You still have the same experiences. You still have those things. Like for me, a a limiting belief over and over and over again is that I'm not smart enough because I struggled in school. Dyslexic, I had quote unquote learning disabilities, had all these different challenges in school. So every time something goes wrong, my mind goes, oh, I wasn't smart enough. That's why, because I was consistently, at least my view was I was told that through different, different ways. But like, I used to go, wait a second. I thought I dealt with that. But then I'm like, no, no, no. I'm at a new level now. And so now I'm experiencing it at this level because at this level, I got to take care of. I know that I'm smart enough, but now at a new level, I have to face the same challenge. It's like a boss of a new level of a video game. You're facing it again. But going back to the idea of the, you know, someone who is religious, I, I think the same thing can be said for someone who has a feeling of all things happen for a reason, or someone who has a belief that everything is for my gain, regardless of where, what it is, because I'm going to grow from it. And whether that comes from a religious perspective or that comes from a more spiritualistic universal perspective. I even know people who are atheists, but have a very strong moral compass 
and have a very strong view of their meaning of life. And they find certainty within that. But it's when people have a feeling of chaos. I think that's when they really struggle because they don't know. I mean, I even know people who find peace in that chaos. They find calm in that chaos. And that to them is a, a purpose of life and those kind of things. But no matter what it is, this stuff takes self-actualization and it takes discipline. And when I say discipline, I mean the word discipleship. And it doesn't have to mean discipleship of Jesus or some guru or whatever, but discipleship is, is a discipline. Think about the word discipline as a verb. And if I'm doing, whether it's daily scripture reading and prayer, or I'm doing daily meditation and exercise, or I have a discipline of choosing to focus my thoughts on the positive outcomes, or I have a discipline of hiking in the woods every day and going through my mindset experiences, but it takes discipline to be able to get into that place. And I, I think that I do believe that it can be found through many different paths. Um, I've been very into different philosophies and religions. And um, over the past year, two, two years, I've read the Bhagavad Gita a couple times, three times. And in that, in, in the Bhagavad Gita, it talks about how there are many paths to God and all of them are good. And we could take now that to there, there's specific types of paths, but I thought about that in a very broad spectrum. And I went, you know what? I might have my religious beliefs that might be different from somebody else, but that person who their life is dedicated. I met a man who every single Saturday he goes and he works with um, a nonprofit organization, taking food to different at risk families and low income families and taking you know, drives this van around doing all this stuff. He does it every single Saturday. He's been doing it for 20 years. He has no religious. He he said he he is a he is a self proclaimed atheist. Doesn't have a belief in God. Doesn't any. But he has a belief in doing good. I don't see a difference. Hmm. It's the same thing, and it's a path in my mind. If God is real, which I believe He is, and if that if that's true, then someone not believing in God doesn't negate the existence of God. And I don't believe in a God that sees someone who is serving his fellow man and says, you didn't believe in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I You're rejected. Yeah, I just don't. I don't believe in that. And I know a lot of other other uh, Christians and other people in, in other people see it differently. And that's fine. I just don't see it that way. I don't see it as a I don't see it that way. I agree. You know, I think that also, I mean. So we, we learn in, you know, like I learned in, in my church that everybody has the light of Christ, right? Which, you know, as, as a Christian, I think that means everybody, you know, and, and I think that's just one way of saying that everybody has good in them and can do good. So I think that that's really great, you know, and um, what you're talking about here, I think this idea of discipline is such a, it's such a good, it's such a it, this idea of this, this positive mindset and this discipline is so important. And I, I can't stress it enough because uh, I, with discipline, like I talk about going to the gym, 
right? I, I'm a big gym guy. I've been going six days a week. I've rarely missed for probably four years now, three or four years. And uh, the, I used to think it was like all about being motivated to go to the gym, but it's just not. It's about discipline. So it doesn't matter if I wake up in the morning and I'm tired or I'm sad or I'm angry or whatever. I, it's just part of the routine. It's just the discipline. And I think that that's what you need to have to get over some of these anxieties, you know, that people have these fears of failure and all these things. Just do it anyway. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're scared. Okay. But what if you do it and 99% of the stuff we're worried about never even happens? Yes. You know did, what I mean? did you know there's actual data behind that? That quote yeah. that you have, it, it, it's actually 93%. Um, and, and here, here's now I'm sure it's different in a different study. It would be, it would be different based on a different study. I think it was Princeton university. They took a hundred people who were self-diagnosed as worriers. Hmm. Just, I worry all the time. And they, they found these people through, I don't know, a newspaper ad or something like that. And they took these people and they had them come in and they took a test writing down every single thing or, or a, some kind of uh, survey writing down every single thing that they were worried about, worried mm -hmm. about happening over the next 30 days, all of them. With 100 people, only 7% of the things that they worried about ended up happening. And in that 7%, all I think the study was all but one person said that the thing was nowhere close to as bad as they thought it was going to be. <laughs> so there's legitimate data behind this not just some like hyperbole, like eh, most of it never happens. I mean, this is, this is a, um, a, a, uh, scholarly study to see that, that worry, it's a waste of time. And we just, we're, we're only worrying to protect ourselves from disappointment. People are more afraid of being disappointed. The feeling of disappointment than being let down by not, or, or then, not let down. They're, they're more afraid of the feeling of disappointment than not getting the thing that they want. This is why people don't go after their dreams. They don't go after their dreams because they don't want to feel disappointed. They'd rather keep the dream and not have the risk of the disappointment. It's more fun just to have a dream. And the disappointment, if I can feel worry and go, oh, well, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. I'm already feeling the feeling of it's not going to happen. And then if it doesn't happen, I go, well, I knew it wasn't going to happen anyway. So it's no big deal. They don't want to feel that feeling. The, the courageous man dies one death. The coward dies a thousand times. Mm, that's the really same funny. feeling again and again. You know, it's funny that you bring that up. And, and, and I do, that's another thing I don't understand, right? The people who are like, well, I'm afraid because what if I want, what if I'm disappointed that and, and I think about that, right? Like, so let's use the wrestling for an example, right? I thought when I was 17 years old that I was going to be a pro wrestler and I was going to be in the WWE and I was going to main event WrestleMania. That, and that was what was in my head. I mean, I had it before I went on my mission. I had a, I'd set up with off of the wild Samoan to come out to, to Pennsylvania and with them. That's, if you know who that is, that's the rock and Roman Reigns is, you know, 
he's the he was the he's the original tribal chief. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. You, you, and if he had gone down that path, he probably would have been doing stuff with Roman Reigns. You know, and I mean, in it, the, in the schools and stuff like that. Right, that's what I mean. I mean, they they had talked to me about getting me some sort of security job out there, so I would be able to work out there. I mean, it was like I was going to Pennsylvania, and he's like six months. You train with us six months. We put you. We guarantee you one match. But we get guys. I think back then it was Tom Pritchard or somebody like that would come out there all the time looking for talent. So like that was my thing. Now none of that ended up happening. I I am a indie wrestler. I did some backyard stuff. I've done some indie shows. And that is, that's it. And then I've ran wrestling promotions and I've done some stuff with TNA and I've done some stuff with impact or with, with, uh, with new Japan and MTV and all that stuff, but I didn't get anywhere near where I thought I was going to get, but I'll tell you what, I got some really cool stories. You know what I mean? And, and it's always fun to show the pictures, show the championship, show that. Yes. I got a wrestling ring. You know what I mean? Like my life in wrestling was so fulfilling did I become a multi-million dollar famous WWE Hall of Famer? No. But I got to do so many cool things with a with a passion I have. And if I had not gone for it, I would regret. That is a huge part of my life I never would have gotten if I just didn't have the will to get it. So if you're looking at it like, did I? You're right. I didn't make it to WWE. So I guess it's a failure. But it's a pretty awesome figure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right, 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 right. So why, why like so you start thinking about it? Okay. I had a client ask me this question. We were at a kind of a philosophical conversation. And he said, Have you ever had a failure that ended up being the beginning of something far better than what you were going after? I said, Yeah, wow. absolutely. Wow. Many times. times. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And so they said, so then why are we afraid of failure? And, and it's such an interesting, now, now the real question, the real answer is, well, we're afraid of, well, it, it, I think this is the real answer. All of what we've been talking about is a need for control. We want mm-hmm. to control the uncontrollable. Because guess what? Sometimes people that you love get cancer. Sometimes people get in car accidents. One of my best friends last week, uh, he, one of my best friends had a friend that was very close to him at, at one time. This particular friend, it was a friend of the family, lived in their home, um, lived in their home during like three years of high school. This friend's much older than this person, but took them in because of their family experience and what was going on. It wasn't a safe environment. And, um, Dump truck didn't see that traffic had slowed down and plowed right into them. She's 26 years old. That sucks. That's awful. You know, my wife's dad got terminal brain cancer, was fine one day, and then six weeks later, gone. And he was only 58 years old. Stuff happens. And we don't have anywhere close to the amount of control in life that we want to have. And so all of this stuff that we're talking about is our desperate need for control in a situation where there is no control whatsoever. And I think that's it. I think everything about mindset stuff comes down to 
trying to gain control. And people will choose control in a life that is nowhere close to what they want rather than no control in a life where they have a chance to get what they want. That's 100% true. And I think also part of that is it's easy when you've gone pat, gotten past the trial, right, past the storm, to look back and be like, oh, man, I'm in such a better position. I'm so glad that that storm happened because I'm in this great position now, right? Where, like, it, when we're in the storm, we have no idea that it's going to work out. So it's really easy to go back and be like, oh, that worked out great. But then when you're in the next storm, you're like, this could be the one that doesn't work out. What if this is the one? And it's hard when you're in the middle of it. I, I've had to work on this a lot when I've gone through things because I, I'm the guy who says to people, every time I've ever had a failure, every time I've had something, I've failed up. Every time I've had something, I've come out better. And it's maybe the man that I am. And I'm grateful for all of those terrible, horrific things that have happened to me. And then another one hits and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I? Like you said, now it's happening again. Here we are again. You know, and um, but the thing is, is that even even now, like I'm going I've gone through stuff in the last few years, you know, that have been really, really hard. And even now things are looking better. You know, things are looking great. And uh, things have happened in my life that have really been a blessing, you know, uh, and and every, there's a lot of great things that have happened even in the midst of that storm. But I chalk that up to being willing to go through it and still try to achieve even when the bad stuff is happening. You know, it's yes, man, you know, that's I, so, so if there's somebody out there, I mean, what do you, what would you recommend if somebody's out there right now who's having a, who's having a hard time, who's struggling, uh, maybe something's not working out for them and they're in that dark place, what would you recommend they do to get out of that? First thing I would recommend is start off with the way that you can be successful today. Give mm -hmm. some momentum. Like you, what you want, if what you want is going to, like if you just look at it and you say, hey, what I want that will make my life better, if it's going to take you more than seven days to achieve, which it probably will, focus on something that you can win today. Like something as simple as, I'm going to read this book. And you know what? If you read a book, you're going to feel accomplished because you finished the book. Go and exercise. I did the workout. Great. And don't exercise for the goal. Exercise for the feeling of how you feel after you exercise. Like just that simple. You completed it. Read a book. Gain a new skill. Like some, something, something that can be a short win. Because I believe that momentum will help you more than anything. Like just getting momentum will help you. And that will start to get you into a new mindset. And the mindset is this. Here, here's some practical things that you can take. Practical things that you can take is number one. But here, here's what it comes down to. We only have three things that we can control. We talked a lot about control. There's only three things that we can control, and that's it. We can't even control the thoughts that pop into our mind. Because sometimes they're random and I go, well, why did I think about that? That's weird. Like it's, it's random what will come in, but we can control which thoughts we choose to focus on. Mm. What are the thoughts that we choose to dwell on? We do have control over that. 
not over what pops in, but what are we going to focus on? Secondly, and real, real quick with that focus, if I, if I focus on the, the problem or am I going to focus on solutions that, that might even sound so similar, but it's different if I'm focusing on solutions rather than problems. And we, we see more of what we focus on. If we're focusing on everything, like if I were to say, hey, okay, you know what? Count everything that you see that is blue in your room. Count everything that's blue, everything that's blue. And I say, close your eyes and then say, now tell me everything that's in your room that's red. And you go, I didn't notice anything that's red. But then you open your eyes and you see all these red things because you weren't focusing on it. So focus, what you choose to focus on is what you're going to see and you have control over that. The second thing that you have control over is you look at the things that you focus on and we get, we get to control what those things are going to mean to us. What are they going to mean? What's the story behind them? What is the meaning behind them? And then the last thing is we get to control what we're going to do about it. And we can control what we're going to do in response to that. We cannot control the situation that came to us, but we can't control how we responded to it. And therefore, we at least have, we don't have control over everything. We don't even have control over the outcome, but we are an essential part. You take your event plus your response is what equals your outcome. Most people get stuck in feeling that their event equals their outcome, but you are 50% of the equation. How are you going to respond? Mm -hmm. So not everything's going to work out, even when you respond positively. But at least you got a chance. And if you just start with those things, pick one of those things, whatever you focus on. Pick a something I can do to have some momentum, something I can do to have a quick win, something I can do that's little that can make me proud. And one last thing, maybe before you do any of that, just do something that you find fun. Like pro wrestling, Go watch pro wrestling. If you like a movie, go watch a movie. If you like going to Disneyland, go to Disneyland. If you like going hiking, go hiking. I think that we get so quick into like, okay, I got to like do it. I got to go take it and I got to go take it on. The state that we're in is often from breaking the patterns that we've been in over and over and over again. Find a way to enjoy yourself. Break your patterns. A lot of times things are going to be a little bit better. I'm sure you've been in a situation where stuff is going really bad and you're like, man, life is terrible. Everything's, everything's hard. Everything's struggling. And then all of a sudden you're with a group of friends and you're laughing like crazy and you're like, huh, I mean, I'm okay right now. So just pile up some of those I'm okay right now moments and things will start to turn around. Yeah. I got to tell you, man, that that's, I remember um, <clears throat> there was a time when I was, really struggling with uh with some stuff with some life stuff and i remember thinking to myself i was like everything seemed so out of control for me and i said okay what are the things i can control right and i was like well i can control my outlook my my positivity right and then i started reading some things and i was like i can control what i put in my body i'm going to start eating right i can control what i wear I'm going to get some new clothes that make, that look nice and fit well. I can control how I smell. I'm going to get some cologne. You know what I mean? And, you know, and then I was like, okay, so I'm going to start working out. And it was not much, just a little bit, right? Just a little bit, maybe 20 minutes on an elliptical and a few sets on a, on a flat bench with some, with some dumbbells. Right. And then it might amorphous. And then I said, I can control, I'm going to stand up straight. I'm going to look people in the eye. I'm going to smile more. I'm going to greet people. 
right? Positively greet people. And it, it sounds so silly. I, if you're Right now, if you're in a rut, all that stuff, you're like, that's not going to make any difference. I'm telling you it does. Something as small as standing up straight, looking somebody in the eye and smiling can change how they perceive you. You know what I mean? And and how it, it was really interesting how that that happens. Just those simple things. Yes. Appreciate you coming on. One, you know, you you have become one of my favorite people. You really have, just because of your positive outlook, your mindset. It, I'm not gonna lie, your love of pro wrestling really helps. But uh, you know, I just I think you're one of the one of the good ones, and I uh, really appreciate everything. Uh, that you're doing. If anybody ever wanted to get in contact with you for coaching or speaking, how do they find you? Uh, JakeValentine.com, MTMSuccess.com, MTMSuccess. That's for Mountaintop Motivation, MTMSuccess.com. That's probably the best way to get in touch. Cool. Well, right on, man. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on again one day, uh, and uh, we'll obviously keep in contact. So for anybody who's been listening, uh, thanks for listening. Subscribe. Uh, we got a lot of more cool stuff coming up and uh, we'll talk to everybody again soon. Thanks.